So you've got to preach about Christmas, haven't you? Have you got any idea how many Christmas sermons I have preached in 31 years? <laughs> too many. <laughs> Far too many. All right, come with me please then to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. A very dear friend of mine, a pastor, he usually rings me Christmas week and says, well, David, what are you preaching on this week? So I got a surprise last week and he rang me and says, here's what I'm preaching on. You can use it if you like. <laughs> I had to tell him that Saul's armor is too big for me. <laughs> It's like the young prophet's axe head, a last master for it was borrowed in. <laughs> All right. Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 1. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice! Highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But particularly that sentence in the middle. The angel said, he will be great. How do you assess greatness? How do you quantify or qualify Greatness. We often say things like, so-and-so is a great athlete. Or so-and-so is a great actress. Or a great artist. Or a great scientist. Or so-and-so is a great leader. And what we mean by all of that usually is that we believe that they're talented or highly gifted. We believe that they're bright or clever, or maybe very charismatic in personality, or maybe even they're a genius. But what makes Christ great? He shall be great. The writer to the Hebrews, talking about Jesus, said that he is greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Melchizedek, that mysterious priest. He's greater than the angels. Greater. Jesus himself, one time in Matthew chapter 12, talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, 
He said, they said in verse 38 of Matthew 12, you don't need to turn to this, but they said, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, I nearly said that make-up cream, Nineveh, I nearly said Nineveh there, didn't I? Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So what's great about the Lord Jesus well, as this is Christmas, we have to say that his birth was great. His birth was the fulfillment of many, many prophecies. You know, altogether, there's something like over 300 prophecies regarding Christ that was to come. Many about his divinity, many about his humanity. You know, that's why the Jews struggled when he came, because they struggled to understand how that God could come on human flesh. But that's another story. But out of all the prophecies, there's one Clifford read it this morning, actually, way over in the little book of Micah. Again, you don't need to turn to this, but in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Over 700 years later, Caesar Augustus, in his great palace, considering his mighty empire that stretched all across the Mediterranean, and the Middle East, and into Europe, and the North Africa, in Asia. And he's thinking about how many people are in my power? How much taxes could I receive from them? And so he sends out for a census. He says all the words should be taxed or registered. And so part of that mighty empire, of course, was Palestine. And it was the custom of the Jews, of course, that they would have to go back to their own tribe, to their homeland and their hometown of their home tribe to be registered. And here was this young couple, and she's heavily pregnant. So how was God to get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth, which is where they were living, in north in the Galilee, away down to Bethlehem in the south in Judea, which is over 80 miles. And they had no notion of going anywhere. 
They had no thought about traveling. But listen to me. God moved a whole empire. He moved the mightiest empire on earth just to get a couple to travel 80 miles in order that that one prophecy would be fulfilled. If God can do that for them, what can He not do for us? In order for His plans and purposes for our lives to be fulfilled. His birth was the fulfillment of prophecy. That's why it was great. His birth was heralded by angels. The angel came to Mary. The angel came to Joseph. The angel came to the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem. And even before that, as the forerunner, the angel came to Zacharias in the temple, telling him that John, the forerunner, would be born. He was visited by men from afar. The Magi. These, I suppose in the day, they would be the philosophers, the astronomers, the scientists, the doctors. Highly educated. People who would look for signs even in the very heavens. People who believed at that moment that a king was to be born in Israel. And God supernaturally gave them that wonderful light to guide them. Now over the years, I've always been interested in astronomy, and over the years, and every year in fact, there's a new theory comes out about what the star was. Some said it was, even the great astronomer Kelper said it was a supernova. That's still prevalent thought today, or it was a comet, some say. I don't believe it was any of those things. I don't believe it was a natural phenomenon at all. I believe it was supernatural. It was a bright and shining light. Because when they followed that star, and then it disappeared, and then it came back again, and eventually... Over the house where the young child lay. Our beautiful musical is a little bit, theologically a little bit. <laughs> you know the wise man didn't come with a little baby, you know that, don't you? But most people believe that, so we go with that. But theologically it's a little bit different. And how could an ordinary star, or even a comet or a supernova, how could it come right over the house where the child lay. You know, if you go out at night and look up the night sky and see Polaris, the North Star, everybody in the whole northern hemisphere can see that. <laughs> it's over the whole earth. No, it was a supernatural light to guide these wise men to come to bring their wonderful gifts to the infant Christ. His conception was miraculous. The Son of God became the Son of Mary. The infinite became an infant. No wonder Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.16, and said that great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. Take that out of our Bible and we might as well close the door and go home. 
Don't you know that over the centuries it's always been a big debating point either about the humanity of Christ or about the divinity of Christ? Always. It always centers on that birth. But thank God we believe that He came, the eternal Son of God, and He came and was born as a little baby. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And so his birth was great. And whether it was December the 25th or whether it was even December really is irrelevant. The fact is it's good for us to celebrate it and remind the world around us that the Christ did come, that the Savior of the world took upon himself human flesh and came and lived and walked amongst us. So it's good for all of those reasons at Christmas time to sing these wonderful carols and I've been so blessed today just singing and listening to these carols some great theology in those carols aren't they I mean so rousing aren't they I mean it just it just gets your imagination going doesn't it especially in the Wesley ones but not only was his birth great but his life was great as a boy of 12 he confounded the learned doctors in the temple It would have been nice, I suppose, it would have been nice if God had allowed us, made us privy to his whole upbringing and his whole childhood and adolescent years. That, that would have been nice, I suppose, to know who his friends were and what he was like as a boy. Was he playful? But the Bible draws a veil over that. And just one little incident when he's 12 years old, that time in the temple, when he talked to those learned gentlemen about the things concerning the kingdom and eternal things. As a man, of course, he stilled the sea, didn't he? As a man, he fed 5,000 hungry people with five loaves and two little fishes. As a man, he opened blind eyes and deaf ears and made the lame to walk. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. His life was great. He healed broken hearts. He cleansed the lepers. He reached out to the poorest of the poor of the people. Cyclopedia Britannica says more about Jesus Christ than any other religious leader in the history of this world. Christ has more followers today than he has ever had since he walked the earth. And they are increasing daily by the tens of thousands, by the hundreds of thousands. You wouldn't think that in Europe, of course, but many other places of the world, they're seeing great revival. They're seeing multitudes coming into the kingdom. Even in Muslim countries, even in Muslim nations, the Lord is bringing them in. He's coming in dreams and visions. He's directing them to people who can share the gospel with them. He's doing all kinds of things to reach hurting people. Somebody wrote this. I don't know who it was. It said he came. It's called the incomparable Christ. He came from the bosom of the Father to the bosom of a woman. He put on humanity that we might put on divinity. 
He became the Son of Man that we might become the sons of God. He was born contrary to the laws of nature, lived in poverty, was raised in obscurity, and only once crossed the border of his own country in his childhood. He had no wealth or influence, had neither training nor education in this world's schools. His relatives were inconspicuous and uninfluential. In infancy, he startled the king. In boyhood, he puzzled the learned doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the billows and hushed the sea to sleep. He never wrote a book, yet all the libraries in the world could not contain the books that had been written about him. He never wrote a song, yet he furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters put together. He never founded a college, yet all the schools together cannot boast as of many students as he has. He never practiced medicine, yet has healed more broken hearts than doctors have healed broken bodies. He is the star of astronomy, the rock of geology, the cornerstone of architecture, the lion and the lamb of zoology, the harmonizer of all discords, the healer of all diseases. Great men have come and gone, yet he lives on. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not tempt him. Death could not destroy him. And the grave could not hold him. He was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. How poor? Ask Mary. Ask the wise men. He slept in another's manger. He sailed the lake in another man's boat. He rode on another man's donkey. He was buried in another man's tomb. He is the ever-perfect one, the chiefest among 10,000. He is altogether lovely. His life was great. His birth was great. And his death was great. I alluded to this during the musicals can't remember if it was the first night or the second night. How that whenever Isaiah wrote, Unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And goes on to say, the government shall be upon his shoulder. You know, all of Jesus' life can be summed up in three statements. Three words. The cradle, the cross, and the crown. For unto us a child is born, the cradle. Unto us a son is given, the cross. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. That's his crown, isn't it? In that wonderful chapter of Isaiah 55... You see this same sequence also. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He shall grow up before him. There's the cradle. What about the cross? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. There's the cross. But what about the crown? Because on to say at the end of that chapter, Therefore, because of what he went through, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. 
He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. There's the crown, isn't it? We can even see this in the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. Where it says, let this mind, this is chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. Sounds like a cradle to me, doesn't it? Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, here's the crown. God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess, those in heaven, those on earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His death was great. Paul says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of course, that was the point of his death, wasn't it? That was the point of his life. And that was the point of his birth. All to the one end that he would go to that cross, that he would die for us. So Wesley the hymn writer says, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. <laughs> Aren't you glad for the second birth tonight? That's what makes the difference for Christmas, doesn't it? So much of this world would go through this Christmas and have no idea or could care less the reason for it. But we care because we know. And then he writes, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Hark, the herald angels sing. What beautiful words, amen? So the writer of the Hebrews says, How then shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Why is it great? Because his birth was great, his life was great, and his death was great. It couldn't be any greater, sure it couldn't. And this great Savior has given us so great salvation. And that's why we love Him tonight. And that's why we've come to worship Him in this little carl service. Small a number as we are tonight, not so many made it out. But I'm glad I made it out tonight. Are you glad too? So isn't He great tonight? Isn't He worth worshiping and celebrating? And so as we sit around our turkey dinner, 
at the end of this incoming week, let's have a little prayer and say, Lord, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. And thank you for coming back again, for your coming back again and receiving us. Amen? Glory to God. Lord, we bless you and we give you thanks for who you are tonight. And Lord, we rejoice in the wonderful carols we've been singing and the glorious words. Rejoice in your precious word. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We bless you that you humbled yourself. You came even in the likeness of sinful flesh. Lord, our minds can not take it in. It's beyond our capability to understand. Yet in your grace and mercy you came. And Lord, by faith we accept and we received you into our lives. And so we bless you, Lord, for coming. We thank you for going to the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen.